The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. The misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the mad ones, and Merry Christmas. I am your thank God it's finally Christmas season, and no one can argue with me about that host, Cam Harless. <laughs> and with me, as always, is you're eating way too many beans right now, hostess, Miss Jessica Green. How yes. are you doing, Jessica? Uh, I'm a little bloated, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we had a yeah, conversation no, I... last night about bean salad, and it, yeah. came, it came up in the tweet, in your tweets, because <laughs> bean salad the name is not remotely appetizing to me. You say, uh, I've never had bean salad. So you're like, hey, you want some bean salad? I'm like, no, nah, that sounds like a bummer. It's really good. <laughs> it's actually really fresh and really good. But no, I'm, um, it's the nativity fast right now for Orthodox Christians. Means, um, we're basically eating a vegan diet. And I am running out of ways to prepare beans, to be honest. And I'm <laughs> feeling a little fat. So, yeah, I got to come up with something new. <laughs> it's a heavy, heavy legume season. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a, our first Christmas episode coming, which I'm excited about because, you know, you don't hear a whole lot about saints outside of the Catholic world. Uh, there's not a lot of conversation about saints. I'm sure the Orthodox talk about it more as well. But if you think of saints, typically people are going to think of Catholics. That's just... Yes. The biggest biggest church of all time, that's where people go. And so we're going to talk about the saint that inspired Santa Claus. And I find that fascinating. Right. The, the juxtaposition between the kind of commercialist figure that drinks a lot of uh, Coca-Cola versus the man who uh, was a bit of a brawler to not spoil anything too early. <laughs> um, so I'm excited about that. But before we get started, I do want to remind you that one... We now have mugs, and they're on. You can get one, and uh, I think you should. Two of them have my face on them. One of them has Jessica's face on them, both drawn. It's not like a photo of us. I mean, no one wants that. But we have those now. You should get one, themadonesshop.etsy.com. Um, and also, if you want some coffee to put it in, Run Your Mouth Coffee has some great bourbon barrel-aged coffee, and you should get some. Mm -hmm. Beyond that... People who are watching right now via, like, we're recording this early. I'm not going to lie to you this time. But, I, not that I lied before, I just played it. It was funny. I was playing it funny. Um, <laughs> it's a funny lie. I mean, we're fine. Uh, but <laughs> people who are watching right now are watching because they're patrons on our Patreon. So if you, mm -hmm. if we have early episodes, if we have a, um, a guest who's in Cambodia or Australia or Norway, which we have all of these things happening, uh, we usually have to record those early. And so if you're a patron, you get to watch them before anyone else. So if you want to do that, you should. Patreon.com slash The Mad Ones. Also on YouTube, like and, and comment and subscribe. It helps the algorithm. Help us, help us build up. Uh, beyond that, we're ready to bring in our guest. He doesn't have yeah. much time with us tonight because uh, he is in Cambodia, and I'm going to yeah. ask him why in a minute. Uh, but tonight we're joined by a man in the jungle. 
a preacher, a teacher, and a lover of church history. Uh, he's a man who loves telling the stories of the saints and took the time out of his busy schedule to tell us the story of the man who inspired Santa Claus, Troy Frazier of Revived Studios. How are you doing, Troy? <laughs> hey, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, yeah. I uh, feel more awake now. I was a little tired at first, but I've been taking some sips of coffee, so I'm getting there. Nice. Good, yeah, because what time? You're, what, 12, 12 or 13 hours ahead of us? Uh, we're 12 hours ahead of you, so it's 8 in the morning, which isn't too early, but my kids, they did not sleep in very well, so that made it uh, made it harder, you know? I got you. So they why, never do. Why, why never are you don't. in Cambodia? Can you, can you en enlighten us just a touch there? Yeah, no problem. About a year ago, I was at seminary at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and as I was kind of nearing uh, graduation day, I was kind of just praying, asking God, you know, is this where you have me? I was a children's pastor at a church, and I was having a good time. But I just felt like God was telling me to go back overseas again. We had been in China a few years before teaching as teachers there. And it felt like the Lord was saying, like, go back and, you know, do it again. And so we kind of prayed about it. And over time, this opportunity in Cambodia came up to be a Bible teacher here in the nice city of Sahanakville, uh, which is not a city most people are familiar with. But it is uh, it's very nice. It's on the coast, which is pretty cool. And yeah, uh, Cambodia is about 99.2% like uh, not, not Christian, Buddhist. And most people here um, actually have very little interaction with Christianity. They have a lot of interaction with the West, but not with Christianity itself. For a very long time, Christian missionaries weren't even really allowed in here. There were some, but they weren't really encouraged to be here. But the yeah. past couple of years, Cambodia has kind of been opening up, kind of been more open to the idea of people coming over. And so I'm here as a Bible teacher at a school and I quite enjoy it. And it's, my wife is teaching social studies right now as well. So we've gotten the opportunity to, you know, share the faith with these students and kind of just hoping and praying that they will um, see the importance of Christianity. That's so awesome. um, that is really awesome. And I, to hear someone say that they are, were teaching about the Bible in China kind of gives me a like, oh, what was that like? But you're saying that um, in Cambodia, it's actually kind of um, what I imagine it would be like in China. Of the two, which do you, would you say is more receptive to learning about Christianity? And can you tell us a little bit about your experience in China, too? Yeah, in China, we I worked at two different schools. So I kind of tried two different approaches. The first time I worked at a Christian school and I worked with elementary students. And they were honestly really, really receptive. But you never know how long that's going to last. I can't, I mean, those students I worked with were in third grade and they all were really, really, you know, really into it, but they're, you know, right now they're probably in seventh or eighth grade and I have no idea if they stuck with it or not. Right. Um, but that was really fun. They were really receptive and some of them had parents that were Christian. So it was a little more familiar to them, I think. Uh, right. Then the next year I went to Hangzhou and worked at like a very much a communist party school, like Chairman Mao's faces on all the windows, you know, that kind of stuff. Very much, They canceled Christmas, but they tried to give us Mao's birthday the next day off. Oh, the whole rigmarole thing, uh, which was funny because I actually was like, all right, I guess I got to work in Christmas. And all the other Western teachers there who were not Christians were like, oh, no, we're not coming in on Christmas. So we ended up getting Christmas off purely because the other European teachers were not going to come in anyway. Uh, <laughs> and that year was a little bit harder because uh, I got to do a lot of sharing the gospel and talking about Jesus with my coworkers, who most of them were from Europe. Most of them had never met like an evangelical. Most of them had all these pictures of like what a Christian 
you know, from America would look like. And so the more they interact with me, the more they would tell me like, you're not what I expected you to be. You know, you've read a lot more books than I was told you've read. You're intelligent. (laughs) You know, you're not as dumb as I thought you were supposed to be. And that confuses me. And I had a lot of people, I mean, I had a British guy come to me at one point and just go, you know, before I met you, I grew up in Britain. I assumed I knew Christianity. And so I studied all these other religions. And he's like, after meeting you, I realized I don't know what the Bible says like I thought I did. And I was like, okay, so we made some progress there. But with the students, I got nowhere because we just were so restricted in how we could teach and what we could say and what we could share. You weren't even allowed to share. Um, I I read The Art of War and I was told, like, don't tell the students about The Art of War. And I'm like, that's like one of your books. Like that comes from China. Mal actually has a lot of good things to say about this book. He said he used it on the capitalists, but you're not allowed to share that book with them because they're so restricted in what you can teach them. So that was that year. I didn't feel like I made a lot of progress with students, just with coworkers. Yeah. So comparatively, Cambodia, I can share very openly. I can talk very openly. But the students here are not super, are actually very not much not receptive to Christianity because they, and they told, I asked them, I said, so what is it, you know, that makes it harder for you? And they go, we just take whatever our parents say. So if our parents are Buddhists, we're Buddhists. If our parents are Christians, we're Christians. Like whatever, right. the, however they view the world, that's how I view the world. I don't really have to think about it. I just, and this is not me like, you know, reading into it. This is what they told me. They're like, I just right, kind of do right. what they tell me. So they say we're Buddhists. I don't understand why I go to the temple and I burn fragrance, but that's what I'm going to do. It's probably what my kids are going to do too, because that's just what we do. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I, I find that really, um, I don't know, disheartening to hear both that they tried to cancel Christmas <laughs> and that a book that's so uh you know, associated at least for people in the West with uh, Chinese culture, which is the art yeah. of war, is restricted. That's a really fascinating fact. I didn't didn't know that. Yeah, no, all of their stuff is restricted. Art of war, Confucius, like, because I read a lot of that stuff while I was there. And they, I mean, when I would try to share it, talk to them about it with some of the other teachers and stuff, they're like, I've never heard of that book. I'm not allowed to know about that book. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, basically. Um, it's very much just don't don't engage me on that because I don't want to get in trouble. So, but they're they're not right. allowed to read it. Is um Christianity allowed in China and is it something you're like allowed to convert to or do you have to already come in as a Christian? So, as a like I, and this was 4 years ago, honestly, it's been getting much much more persecuted since I left. Um we left right kind of right before a lot of persecution came down on the believers there, but um no, it, it, it is sort of allowed. So technically, like legally, you are allowed to be a Christian as long as you sign up for the state, but not really. No. And they and the people and wow. they, you, they they take a lot of pastors and put them in jail. They take a lot of people. I mean, there's a whole underground church and the government has many times been like, hey, just put your name on a list and you don't have to be underground anymore. But then, you know, a couple of years later, whenever the names go on lists, those churches end up being the ones that get first yeah. dragged in the courts and stuff. So the the Christians there do not. Uh, trust their government for you know a long history of good reasons why many of them have been in jail when we worked in this one school in Shenyang we were told that most of the people we had worked with at some point had been to jail for their faith or something similar so I mean there was a lot of that going on Um, very interesting place so no it's not really legally allowed as an American though coming in in 2016 and 2017 it's like no one's surprised you're a Christian so I'm not allowed to go in and say like hey I'm a missionary I'm here to tell people about Jesus because I'm not going to get them through the door but I was allowed right. to be a teacher and it's not like they're going to be shocked when I have a Bible. And there are some things right. that are kind of strange and interesting too. Like on the one hand, Christianity is not supposed to really be there. On the other hand, like I would rock into bookshops and see Pilgrim's Progress, you know, being sold left and right. And they would say, oh yeah, that book can hardly stay on the door. It's like, well, 
you know, that's an extremely Christian book on the one hand. So they are very, on the one hand, they're canceling Christmas at school, but you go over to the mall next door and there's giant Santa Clauses. And I mean, there's a whole a Christmas, bull, a bull, you know, bonanza going on because they're trying to sell. So the, the, I'm not going to say the communist government is very um, consistent in how they do things. They, they will yeah. switch back and forth on you. You think of the cat, the catacomb church, you know, um, as being something of the long past that long time ago, Christians were persecuted a long time ago. Christians had to worship in secret, but really it's not changed as far as China goes. There are still Christians living in that condition. And I find that very interesting. Yeah. No, and they and there were a couple of times too where the school we were at, we were technically not supposed to be there. And saying you're not supposed to be somewhere is ridiculous because like they have cameras everywhere. They would even fly drones by the school, and sometimes you look out the window and they'd just be hovering by watching you. So they know you're there. But yeah. when the black SUVs pull up, you have to hide. So they would put us all in the closet and like put a shelf in front of it, and the schools would do inspections to make sure nobody was there. But again. All of this is oh for show God. because they know they obviously know you're there. But if they run into you, then they have to ask questions and then that can cause problems. But if they do an inspection and they never see you and I'm doing air quotes for anybody who's listening, uh, then, you know, you're not there. They don't have to ask any questions. They can pretend they've done their job and everything was hunky dory. But again, that was about four years ago. They've gotten so much more strict now that I don't think you could get away with that now. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. I think my heart would leap out of my chest if I was in a situation <laughs> like that. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be surprised how quickly you get used to it. The first couple of times, it was really nerve wracking. By like time five, I had a headache one day and I was just like, man, I'm not in the mood for hiding in the closet for an hour. <laughs> uh, and like the first time they did it, we all like took apart our phones. So like they couldn't read our stuff because they they do that. They'll track your phone stuff. And by time number five, we're all just like on Facebook on our VPNs, just <laughs> waiting for like this to be over because we have stuff to do. So it, you, you'd be surprised how quickly you adjust and stop being stressed about things like that. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that's like, gonna... go, ahead. Go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's like um, so outside of our experience. And, yeah. you know, we, we, we complain in the West a lot about a lot of things, and rightfully so. I mean, we have stuff to complain about over here, but I can't even imagine living in a situation like that and having to, to hide, you know, like that. I just, um, I, I, I'm taking a beat to have gratitude for my situation right well, now. In, but don't feel too bad about it. You'd be surprised how um, one of the hardest parts, one of the, one of the things that was the saddest moments for me was like, when I was with them, they they invited so the the underground church invited us to a to a Thanksgiving, which is taking a risk. They're not supposed to. The church mm -hmm. is not supposed to interact with foreigners for this reason that we can spread stuff to them. Um, and yet, when I got there, they told like the Thanksgiving story, and they included all this stuff about like which normally gets skipped over, which is how like the Puritans came and they tried to share everything, and then they all starved, and so then they had to learn private property and all this different stuff. Stuff that we tend to for you know we don't tend to bring that stuff up in the Thanksgiving meal. Yeah, but you understand how growing up under a communist country, that would be a more important part of that story to you per se, because it's the part that you can relate with. Um, and then at the end, they're kind of like, you know, can you guys share? And we shared a little bit, but I just remember they had such a high honor of us. They really looked up to us because we fought for freedom. They really wanted to like, they want their ideal was that our their country would become our country and that they would have the same respect for freedom and all that kind of stuff. And it's so hard because on the one hand, they're talking like, you know, they just have these high ideas of what our founders and all these things think about. And they're just like, we can't wait till we can bring that hopefully someday to our country. And you're like yeah. looking back, back home and like, yeah, 
you guys have more appreciation for what we have than we do. Like we don't yeah. actually have that high appreciation anymore. You guys understand our story and like the liberties we appreciate better than we, it really checked me a little bit. Cause I, I, for a long time, um, was kind of under the same impression that the underground church would just do anything they could to, you know, share the gospel. And I learned like, no, actually they, they don't want to capitulate to the things as they are. They actually have really firm values and lines now and that because they've been under such persecution, they had strong lines where they were like, no, like we don't trust the government and the government needs to be put in its place. And we're, we're going to, we really, they really valued freedom because they didn't have it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. does. It really does. Thank you for sharing that. I know it's a little off topic from what we <laughs> initially wanted to talk about, but that's fascinating to me and I appreciate mm -hmm. it. And to me, what's fascinating is uh, we found you through our friend Josh, aka Iowa Ancap, and uh, he the the Twitter account, the project that you work work with, where we talked, was uh, Revived Th Studios, which has five different podcasts: Revived Thoughts, uh, Martyrs and Missionaries, and they're I'm not, I won't name all of them, uh, <laughs> but that you have five podcasts, and the vision is behind. Um, sharing Christian history. And that's mm -hmm. what we wanted to talk about. And I was like, well, this is a, a perfect it's a match made in heaven for talking about St. Nicholas. But I do want to, you know, share your project and what you guys are working on, yeah. because, uh, you, you know, Christians aren't going to just have you on and steal your information and not <laughs> send them to where they can find you. So sure. could you tell us briefly what that project is before we get yeah. into St. Nicholas? No problem. About two and a half years ago, we sh we put out a show called Revived Thoughts. We take sermons of the past and bring them back to life. We also give you the backstories of these preachers. So uh, famous men like maybe Charles Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God, Martin Luther, John Calvin, people like that. But also, you know, some of the old saints like St. Saint Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, Basil, Chrysostom, Origen, guys like that, you know, those classics, um, Pope yeah. Gregory the Great are on there. But we also have people you probably never, absolutely never heard of, but the really interesting people all over the place too, because there have been uh, men doing great things for God for 2000 years. And we have forgotten so much of them. You know, I went to Bible college and like I said, I'd spent some time at seminary. I, well, I, went, I graduated from seminary, but before I started, that was after I started this project. And I thought I knew a lot about church history. I thought I knew a lot about history. And when I started studying, I realized, man, I don't even know like 1% of the Christian history and the story, how it unfolded and the people who did it. And so much of it was done just by faithful ministers and faithful preachers yeah. and faith, faithful men just sticking to what God has called them to do. And almost always not compromising on truth, but being brave and standing out during their time, you know, when it would be easier to do one thing, but God's people did the harder thing. And those are the men that we remember today, the ones that actually appreciate it. And there's no really, like, we don't have one theological uh, group that we stick with. We really try to, to bring you Christians that we feel are orthodox in the sense of like, they believe in the Trinity and all the important things that we want them to believe in, but they're going to come from all different spectrums and sides because that is the way the church is, you know, in Hebrews, uh, it says that, you know, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and that cloud of witnesses didn't end then. It's still going. And even though the church history itself is not scripture, certainly not canon, but we can be encouraged by learning about men like Hudson Taylor or George Mueller or Christmas Evans or, uh, you know, all Jean Garrison. There's so many different people that you can think of that can fit into that boat. On top of so that's revived thoughts. We really stick with sermons and we bring them back to life. You can listen to sermons. We modernize them so they're easy to listen to, but it is their sermons. And you'd be surprised how much truth that is 2000 or 1800 years old just still lands really strong today. I mean, some of the yeah. most convicting sermons we've put out there 
are 1700 years old, but it's a guy like Basil talking about money from 1700 years ago. And people go, oh my gosh, that sermon completely just destroyed me. Thank yeah. you for that. And uh, we also have another show, Martyrs and Missionaries. We have we have a few shows, but Martyrs and Missionaries is probably our other big one. My wife runs that. She uh, she she takes stories. It's literally what it is. Takes stories about martyrs, takes stories about missionaries, and puts them together. And he tells you that story. She just finished a three part series on John G. Payton. And if you want to hear just the, one of the wildest adventure stories you've ever heard about a man who went to an island of cannibals and had to try to share the gospel with them. Oh my goodness. Listen, listen to that story. There's nothing like it. You can listen to Gladys Aylward's story of how she went to take care of orphans in China. The communist revolution happened and world war II happened. And she's like taking children through mountain passes to say, and we just have, we stand on the shoulders of just amazing, amazing people that came before us. Some of them. Yeah. Not perfect. We share their imperfections. We, we go into the yeah. details of things they did, but to say that most of us are unworthy to tie like the, you know, their sandal or their shoelaces is true because yeah, they may not think perfectly, but some of the things they did are just mind blowing to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, th and that's, that's what's interesting to me about uh, this time of the year is we have this um, very Americanized, very com consumerist version of St. Nicholas, which is Santa Claus. I'm wearing mm. the, the wonderful hat that, I think is iconic and beautiful all in itself. But uh, besides Father Christmas and all these other kind of mythological figures, there is this story of St. Nicholas that's behind that. And that's interesting to me because you you maybe hear a handful of facts about St. Nicholas yeah. at any, any given time. You may know a couple. You may know about uh, toys and shoes or, or what, what, what have you. Um, and so right. I'm, I'm very interested in this man. And I, I, I asked you, uh, you know, I wish I had time to go in and, and deeply study these different things, but this is what you do. Would you help us out? And that's what you've done. Yeah. And so if you're, if you're into getting into, to St. Nicholas now, uh, I know that there are some differences between the, he's kind of legendary in a major oh, yeah. way. Um, there, like some people even say he didn't exist, which I find interesting, but, um, He's a very legendary figure, and I'd love to yeah. hear more about him if you want to start us off. Yeah, so Saint, if St. Nicholas didn't exist, then we had to throw out a lot of records on everything because like, there are like legitimate, solid sources that tell us where he was, what he was doing. It, here's his records at the Council of Nicaea. So if we don't take uh, St. Nicholas to exist, then honestly, throw out everybody before the 1500s because now you've got just, you have to at some point just, there, there are scholars and historical critics and all these people who will basically go through and just doubt everything. And I'm like, why did you get into history studies if you just don't want to believe that anything ever actually happened, you know, before the 1900s? It doesn't make any sense to me. You have to have a love of history. You have to have a love of what you do. And yeah, we don't know 100% sure if these things happen the way they do, but you gotta you gotta have fun with it. I mean, if you can't trust some of the sources, what's the point? So, Saint Nicholas, the real Saint Nicholas, was born in 270 AD, give or take. Some I did see a couple say 280, but I think 270 is probably more correct. Uh, he lived in the area that's now Turkey. Uh, he lived in you know kind of that part of Asia, the Middle East there, biblical part of Asia. The town he kind of grew up in, Myra, actually. Uh, Paul goes through it at one point. So it's, you know, it's kind of an old town as most of these places are. And he was really interested in giving away his wealth. Now, part of that was because uh, as a young kid, his parents were also interested in taking care of the sick, taking care of the poor. 
but they get sick themselves. They pick up one of these diseases while they're caring for people and they both die. And so St. Nicholas grows up without parents. I don't know what age they die. I don't know if this is like Bruce Wayne, eight years old, or if he's two years old. I tried to look it up. I couldn't figure out when they died. But enough of that, whatever it was, it left enough impression that he wanted to be like them. And so he yeah. grew up wanting to take care of the poor and helping people. And I think partially because he was an orphan, he could understand like, hey, these people have a hard time, but I would have had a hard time too if I didn't have all this money and wealth behind my family's name. And so let me give it away. And this is a common thing back then. Uh, Basil is very famously another guy who lives about 40 years later, maybe 50 years later, but he's also giving away tons of his wealth at this time. Uh, Chris Austin is like trying to live in a cave. Like these guys are doing this right oh now at this age where this is a very common thing where they are just giving all they have because they want to live as close to, close to the earth, as humbly as they can. They look at wealth as a, as a causer of luxury and decadence. And so for them to give it all away and live a simple life where you're just communing with nature and God and the people is considered honestly a very honorable, not a bad thing to do at all. And so yeah. it, this is common in his era, an idea. I mean, it's, you got to ask yourselves, why did we lose that? I, you got to wonder yeah. where in the Bible did we start to say, actually, no, like let's accumulate as much wealth as possible and give a little bit. Like these guys, I think in some ways have a little bit of a better idea. And I appreciate that about them. So he loses his parents. They die of sickness. And he grows up. He's trying to he's trying to take care of the sick. And he now it's funny because every source I said was like he became a bishop at a young age. All right, so he becomes the bishop of Myra because of his faithfulness, his care for the poor at a young age. When you think of a young age, you're probably thinking, you know, maybe twenty, maybe even earlier, thirty. Yeah. Thirty is the young age according to them at that time. That was the young bishop, thirty years old, which is how old yeah. I am. Which to me. You know, I felt like not necessarily the youngest. I feel pretty old when I wake up in the morning and my bones are creaking and all that. And um, <laughs> I compare it to like Charles Spurgeon, who at 17 years old was already preaching and starting to run a church. Like 30 is kind of late. You know, that's when Jesus started his ministry. So I don't know. Kind of funny to me that that was their young age. It's not legal to be a Christian in Rome at this time. Like we're not you're not allowed to do this. So, yes, he's a bishop and yes, there's organization. But technically, you're not allowed to do any of this. This is all illegal. This all can be considered bad. So an emperor takes over, Emperor Diocletian, and he is famous for a really bad persecution in the year 303. And one of the people that ends up in the wake of his persecution is St. Nicholas. So he gets thrown into jail for five, maybe 10 years. Um, by the time Emperor Constantine takes over in the year 313, he is let out. So we know that between those two times he's let out, but we don't know if it's five or 10 years he's in jail. And one source said that he spent a lot of that time in kind of solitary confinement. So it probably was not a pleasant time of his life, but he never gave up the faith. He held out until he was let out of jail, um, you know, again, five or 10 years later, which, you know, you don't normally think of St. Nicholas as a persecuted guy or as, you know, you see Santa Claus jolly with cookies, you know, you're not going to think about it. And that guy spent 10 years in jail for the faith, but he did. Um, a lot of time for prayer. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it would have been an intense time and it was a very common thing. I mean, not the, you know, they've had a lot of persecutions. In fact, back then when the church does officially make, you know, it, when the, when the empire makes the church legal, it's the, it's the people, the families that stood through persecution are kind of like the venerated ones. They're the ones that are considered, you know, the, the great families of old, not the ones that, you know, kind of came in later. So there is a little bit of that where like, it's just expected if you're a Christian at some point, you're going to get thrown in jail. Maybe your brother, maybe you, one of you will probably be killed. And that's just, we expect that to happen. Yeah. Right. Now, 
this began, so I'm guessing it's right around here is when we start to have these stories come out about St. Nicholas and he starts to do things again. His goal is to get rid of all his money while he can. And so in this one, I mean, this story is in so many different accounts, even in like there's a very close to his time contemporary thing about him that I have to imagine if this didn't happen, something so similar to it happened that it might as well have been this. But there is the story of the three maidens. And what it is, is that he there's this old man, you know, a little bit older. He's got three daughters and he himself was once rich, but through some bad investments, through things that are kind of outside his control, not like gambling debts or anything like that. He loses all his money and his three daughters now don't have money for a dowry, which is to say, you know, you get married, you have to pay a dowry for someone to marry your daughter so they can go into a good family and have a good life. And he did not have that money for his three daughters, which now meant they were either going to, if they were lucky, marry a poor peasant and just kind of live a peasanty life. Uh, if they were unlucky, they were going to be sold into, you know, slavery or something like that. So this is a really bad right. situation. And he's, yeah. you know, he doesn't know what to do. And so this St. Nicholas finds out about, here's about the situation. Nicholas, here's what's going on. And he goes, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And so he throws some money into the guy's house at night when he's sleeping. According to the legend, the money kind of goes in through the chimney and lands in a stocking or something like that. Maybe it doesn't go through the chimney, but it lands into a sock. Maybe he throws it while it's in the sock. I don't know, but there's a sock involved, the stocking involved. And that's where we get the idea of now using stockings around, you know, the fireplace and all that comes from the store. And so he, the money lands in there, the gold coins land in there. The man wakes up. I've got the money to pay for the dowry. First daughter, we get her married. You know, this whole thing happens again with daughter two. And by daughter three, he's like, I don't know who's doing this, but I'm going to catch him. So he kind of tells everyone like, hey, I'm done. One more dowry still need it. Kind of waits at night to see. Here's the gold come in. Again, according to the story, it just falls through the chimney and lands in the stocking. But I think it's probably more likely he used the sock to throw it in. But who knows? And it lands. He he runs outside and he goes to see who it was, grabs a man that's running in the dark. And it's St. Nicholas. And St. Nicholas goes like, hey, I don't know. I was just in the area. Unrelated. Don't, you know, it wasn't me. <laughs> but of course, the man is like, it was you. I know it was. So he tells everyone it's Nicholas. Nicholas is the guy who's giving me the money for the dowry. And people start to love this. And, and Nicholas does this kind of thing a lot. He's just kind of generously dropping gifts, dropping food, dropping presents off at people's houses, just very randomly kind of just doing things as he sees needs. And people get so excited, they start to leave stockings outside you know hey who knows maybe nicholas will come by my house and drop me a gold coin but what starts happening is that these stockings then get gold coins or food or whatever dropped in them now at some point clearly nicholas is not doing this because these you know nicholas would have to be teleporting all across the city to be in all these places dropping off presents people realized you know i can't give you food or money directly you'll lose face. It would be embarrassing. It would you know, hurt your reputation to do that. Right. But if you put a stocking out and I give you a little something, something, and we just say it was old St. Nicholas did it. You know what I'm saying? Now I can yeah. give right. you stuff and help Community. you out and you don't lose support. We'll just blame Nicholas for everything. So this legend just gets even bigger and bigger as right. the story goes, as all these people are generously giving to each other and loving on one another, they can all just be like, oh, it was never really you. It was old Nicholas doing it. And Nicholas's legend gets bigger and bigger. Hence this idea of how he could get around to so many places. And eventually it spills over into the neighbor region, which I imagine Nicholas loved this idea that people are generously, lovingly giving to those who need 
during his time just kind of explodes. And that's what he kind of becomes, you know, that's what he's famous for is just that loving and taking care of one another and taking care of other people. So that's how his kind of legend gets started. But man, he had some other um, interesting legends that kind of get thrown in there too, because I don't know if you know this, but because I don't really keep up with Catholic saints that well. And I don't know, like they have a bunch of different patrons and stuff that they're doing. But St. Nicholas is, is like the patron saint of, orphans kind of makes sense he was an orphan he's the patron saint of sailors that's kind of strange but apparently he sailed a lot he traveled a lot when he gave gifts and according to them at one point there was a bad storm he prayed and the storm went away so and now sailors say that you know throughout history that if they pray to saint nicholas during a bad storm he might show up and calm the storm okie dokie he's the patron saint of sailors but i also read he might have been the patron saint of prostitutes and pawnbrokers and uh man who was the other one and prisoners and i was like some of those how do you get to be the patron saint of prostitutes for example <laughs> I, well, I don't know about that one um all right, i mean saint stockings nicholas. i don't know yeah. that makes sense yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm a little he's too, a patron a saint too, of brewers isn't he <laughs> is he that one too? see so yeah. everybody's got something going on but a little too jolly the, for me on this i'm not sure what's going on here with this the <laughs> russian orthodox consider him um the patron saint of merchants yeah. Okay. And see, that's what this patron saying of pawnbrokers, merchants. And see, the thing is, that's that's one of the problems with doing research on St. Nicholas was it's like everybody has a piece of him and everybody has a little bit of a different version of him. Like they, his story is really uh, from Russia to the Netherlands to America. Like this mm-hmm. dude has everyone's got a little piece of what they're trying to say he is and who he was. And he's got a really, really interesting um, life. Now, the most so he gets to jail twice in his life. The second time comes at the Council of Nicaea, which you hinted at earlier, Cam, where yeah. he he is going there. The Council of Nicaea, we find out that Arius is kind of preaching some heresy, saying that Jesus was a created creature, not the son of God, not God himself, not divine, but a great and wonderful creature. So Arius, go, we, big council, what do we think? Who is Jesus? Is he a member of the Trinity? Is there a Trinity? All those questions need to be solved. They bring Arius in. Arius starts making his arguments for why Jesus is created, why he's the highest order of creation, but not actually God himself. And Nicholas, he's not having it. He gets angry and angry and eventually (laughs) just walks up to Arius and socks him across the face. And there are going to be some historical people go, well, actually, that didn't happen. I say, actually, I don't want to hear it. It did happen because (laughs) it said it did. And if we don't believe in this, yeah. what are we doing here? We need to believe that Nicol- that, that Santa Claus knocked out a heretic. Just That's just good for all of us. <laughs> that's my and, Santa Claus knocked <laughs> exactly. out a heretic. <laughs> exactly. Um, of course, so like everyone's like, you can't do that. Apparently, there was like a rule in the books that bishops weren't allowed to lay hands on another bishop. So knocking one out at the council is super not cool. So he actually gets <laughs> taken to jail for it. So now, you know, Nicholas is in jail, second time in jail, a little bit more deserving this time. Although, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I'm not a big fan of Arian ideas either. So maybe he's got, got it right. Like it's not and, cool, but it's based. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like technically what you did was wrong, but also like you get to go uh, out of history based? as knocking out a heretic. So, I mean, that's not bad. Um, so he's in jail though, he's praying. And he's like, God, forgive me. I got so mad for your honor. But that was, you know, that was unforgivable. Yeah, you know, I shouldn't have done that. That's not the way to be. We can handle this in other ways. So he's very repentant, doesn't want to seek revenge. Tells, you know, that's, again, that's how the story goes. He's telling God, like, I won't do it again. That was my bad. I, I'm so sorry. And suddenly the chains fall off his arms. And he looks over and he sees his bishop's robe and his bishop's staff just sitting there next to him. So he puts all these things on. 
and he starts reading his Bible. And the next morning, the Roman guards go by. Whoa, what's this? Nicholas is no longer in his prisoner's outfit, but he's in his bishop's outfit. And he's got a staff and everything. He looks ready to go. They run over and tell the emperor, and the emperor Constantine goes, well, it must be a sign from God that he wants him back in the council. Let's get him back in the council. And the rest of the council goes off without a hitch. Uh, again, that's how the legend goes. That's how the miracle goes. I you don't have a lot of things to add to that because I question those things kind of an odd. But all right, let's hope. It'd be <laughs> lovely to say, by the way, that like, you know, Santa Claus put together the Nicene Creed, but he was one of 320 <laughs> other people there. So, I mean, yeah, he was there, but it's not like without Santa, there would be no Nicene Creed. He, he was one of a large group. Um, and people like Gregory of Nazianza, there were other people who probably had more of an effect on the divinity. I guess he came more in the Second Council, but I'm saying there were other people there that would have been more critical to the ideas probably than St. Nicholas, but he's the only one that we know of that knocked Arius out. So let's give him that. <laughs> Um, sometimes you got to slap a heretic. Sometimes you do. If you've never punched an Aryan, no, I'm just kidding. I would. Um, so yeah, he gets crazy. He's got another story, a couple other stories too. Now this next story is absolutely wild. And yet there, this story is probably the, one of the more verified stories in the sense of like, this story is clearly a corruption of a thing that happened. Yeah. So this story is there's an innkeeper in town somewhere and when passengers come by kind of people come by travelers come through who are innocent but are kind of on their own this innkeeper you know ki kills them takes them down into the basement and pickles them or another version of the story is that there's a butcher and these according to this one three european boys are going through town and he grabs the kids he cuts them to pieces and meat throws them into a soup brine and what I, so this version's got a few different versions but all three all the versions i found were three people and they're getting killed they're going they're dead and yeah. saint nicholas finds out through a dream god tells him what's happening he goes and he exposes the whole thing and goes aha you've killed these people and you know here's the here's the pickled bodies or here's the meat of humans or whatever it is and the guy gets caught and then saint nicholas prays he touches whatever is remaining of the human beings and boom they come back to life and everything's back in, in Peachy King. We won't ask any questions how a butchered person became human and what he looked like afterwards or pickled or any of those things. Everything's back to normal. And St. Nicholas saves the day and brings them back to life. Pretty good miracle. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty solid. It's pretty, yeah, it's not bad. It's better than what 99% <laughs> of, of the Bible did. So, I mean, I mean, with the exception of like Elisha's bones and Jesus, this is top-notch miracle work. Uh, <laughs> I'm questioning the story. And I think what happened was there's an actual real story that Nicholas got involved with. There's like records that say this probably happened and it got corrupted into this other more mystical version because it needed to be more miraculous, I guess. But what it more likely happened was there was this man who bribed an official to get three other people executed. I don't know why he executed them, but there were some problems there. He wanted them gone. They're enemies of his or whatever. And so he bribes this official, and this official brings these three men forward to be executed. Executioner comes out with a sword. He's getting ready to behead them. When Nicholas grabs the man's sword, takes the sword, throws it off the sand, and is like, no, we're not killing these people today. We're not doing this. Absolutely not. I won't let you do it. And right. they don't kill them. The three people get to live. And a day or two later, the other guy confesses and goes, it was me. I can't live with the guilt anymore. How did you know that I was the one trying to get them killed? I'm the one who did the bad deeds. And St. Nicholas makes him do some kind of repentance and penance to make up for it. The three men live. This other guy, you know, he gets himself right with God. Everything works out hunky-dory, and they don't kill three innocent men. 
I'm imagining that three innocent people story is the one that became this butcher pickling story, but I, I don't know why. However, that story probably did happen. And that's a pretty interesting story. Again, St. Nicholas, you know, yeah. Santa over there saving lives and <laughs> making things happen. So he's a pretty cool uh, guy. I mean, the real St. Nicholas, honestly, I don't know how much of this extra stuff you needed to add because he has a pretty amazing story. One last miracle that he did after he died, apparently his casket or body oozed magical mana that then people use to heal people around them. And um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave that there. You can decide what magical <laughs> mana oozing out of a casket look like and how they did that. So this is we, the story. We, we <laughs> talked to our friend Kate uh, yeah. Cheryl the other day about um, spiritualism, and she mentioned ectoplasm. So that's what that's what's in my mind right now oh, is, okay. is ectoplasm. So- there's also um, within the Orthodox Church, we have myrrh streaming icons, and there are many bones of saints that are said to stream yes. myrrh. So I wonder if this is connected to myrrh streaming. Um, I'm not sure. And speaking of bones, though, I do. He actually does. St. Nicholas does have an interesting story with his own bones, because, you know, every dead saint has to kind of become a relic and something you go pray to. Correct. So that's yeah, the way yeah. to do and the town of Myra, where he was, had St. Nicholas's bones, kind of their most famous guy for a very long time until it's about around the thousands or 1200s um some italian basically i don't want to say they're pirates but like basically some italian sailors come over and go hey we heard you had the bones of saint nicholas but we throw a feast to saint nicholas every year and we think it'd just be more fun if we had the bones i don't know that's what they said but i can't imagine that's how the language went so they just go in and take <laughs> a bunch of the bones of saint nicholas and they take it back to italy but then the next year they show back up and they're like, yeah, we took most of the bones, but we're here for the rest of them. And they took the rest of the bones and brought them back the next year, which I just love that they like left. And they're like, we could have gotten more. Let's just go back and get the rest of his body. <laughs> and so they go back and they get the rest of his body. And then over time, they spread out from Italy and kind of just end up everywhere. So that's part of right. how actually St. Nicholas's bones became the relics and things that they are was because that they kind of spread out and that again brought the legend with them. Of course, like how many of these bones are actually St. Nicholas's bones? You know, what is the famous phrase Martin Luther said? We have enough nails. Uh, we have enough planks of wood of Jesus's cross to like build a, build a house or something like that. Yeah. So I mean, like, you know, you got to ask the question of were these actually his, but who was there to verify? We have no idea, right, but right. that is what, that is what happened to old St. Nick's bones is they were in one spot theoretically. And then they just kind of spread out in all directions. Yeah, that happens a lot with relics. Um, and in fact, <clears throat> there are still a lot of places where you can write to a church, and if they have a large relic, they'll shave off some of it and send you shavings. And you don't even necessarily <laughs> need to be a church to get this. You can just be a person, and you write to them and say, "Hey, I'd like some uh, some Ew. shavings of Saint So and So," and they'll send that <laughs> stuff to you. <laughs> my my patron um, saint is Mary Magdalene. Okay. And um, in France, they have this skull on display in a very ghoulish gold, um, I, I guess it's like a globe, like a glass globe that's in the shape of a head. And then there's a skull inside of it. And um, I don't, I'm not entirely sure of the authenticity of this skull necessarily being Mary Magdalene's skull, but yeah. the idea of there being a lot of, um, a lot of relics that it's very mysterious how they came upon them is an idea that i'm quite familiar with because i don't i just look at this thing and i think this is ghoulish i don't like it and i don't think that it's actually mary magdalene's skull now there is on the other hand a finger bone that is said to be hers and um it's apparently warm to the touch very often and streams myrrh and i Mm. think that there's more 
evidence and authenticity for the finger bone than there is this garish skull that they have in France. But that's my own thing. <laughs> the, the the grave digging for relics is a, is very bizarre. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> it, to, to me, it's, it's a little weird. I, I'm like, let let them lie. I also, I mean, I this is my maybe just being evangelical, not being a um, Orthodox or Catholic, but I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. Just just pray to God. You don't need you don't need the you don't need the help. You don't need the saint. Right. Just, just let the old Lord take care of it. Probably, sorry, it's probably so, what I'm supposed to do. But yeah, and uh, to just to, you know to be uh, the the Orthodox in the room here. Um, we are praying to God, but in the same way that you would ask your friends to pray for you, you'd say, oh, hey, Cam, I'm having trouble finding my keys. Could you pray for me? Um, we consider the the saints, you know, people who we're asking just like we would ask our friends to pray for us. Like also Mary Magdalene, could you pray for me too? Um, not that we're yeah. praying to her saying, Mary Magdalene, yeah. you're the one with the power, but Mary Magdalene, you know, God, can you put in a good word for me? <laughs> I imagine before, so. Yeah. Imagine the resurrection at the end. And then all of Mary Magdalene's different parts come from all over the world together into one place for the resurrection. It'll be it'll be wonderful. And then she holds up the skull and she goes, "What is this?" Who's this? Yes, because that's what I want to know is what what if Saint Nicholas comes back and goes, "How did you take giving away my wealth and turn that into I heal the storms, y'all?" Like what <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like they might find some of these things very insulting too. Right, How did I become right. the patron saint of prostitutes? Like what on earth, guys? <laughs> That is not what I'm about. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Mary Magdalene, also the, one <laughs> yeah. of the patrons of prostitutes. Yeah, which is a, a misnomer about her. But this is not about Mary Magdalene. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, that's okay. I, I have, well, actually, though, misnomers might be a good place to go. Because so I also did some research on, because I got the original story. That's kind of the original St. Nicholas. But I can also tell you how we got to St. Nicholas and to Santa Claus of today, because that's kind of a weird story, yeah. too. I would like to know that very much, so please, okay. yeah. So as the story spreads out, they kind of choose the date of December 6th to be kind of a St. Nicholas feasting day as a kind of a day of remembrance. And this story, one of the things that's really interesting is there's not really one overarching group. Like, it's not like... You know, it's it does it's not sequential in a lot of ways. It really seems to be really random and sporadic, and you'll see that in a minute. So, Saint Nicholas starts to kind of spread into Europe, and a lot of people, a lot of the pagans, especially, kind of bring in Saint Nicholas in because they remind him of Odin. In the same month yeah. as Saint Nicholas has a feast, Odin also has a feast. He's also famous for giving gifts. He also kind of has a big beard. Odin's called All Father, and so if we just kind of change the name up give him give him the name father christmas and these pagans are like cool we've got to, we get to keep kind of santa but we also get to keep odin and they get to kind of keep the same thing so that kind of helps spread his name but again it's not really what saint nicholas i think probably would have wanted but it allows this story to go out further and allows people to kind of keep the celebration that they had before just changing the names a little bit but then over here there are some nuns in france especially during the middle ages who the day before St. Nicholas's feast, they kind of get it into their idea, like we should go do the things St. Nicholas used to do. We should go surprise people with gifts. And so they start dropping off food. They start dropping off presents the night before, the night before St. Nicholas's feast. And they put right. it in there. They'll leave it on their doorstep. You know, I imagine the turkey got cold, but I, I, they had ways of working it out. And so they would leave these things for these people. And the next yeah. day people up there's presents all at saint nicholas feast day awesome and that was the way the legend goes so like you can see how just like one thing will happen over here and something else will happen over here but all of it comes together for yeah. the 
their story. Then you have, as kind of the Renaissance and things like that start kicking off, you have them bringing back the celebration called Saturnalia. And Saturnalia is like mm -hmm. a wild party that lasts for a week. I didn't know much about it, so if I get anything wrong, let me know. But they get drunk. They're having a great time. People don't have to work. They're just eating and feasting. And what they're supposed to say is low, low, low Saturnalia. Like, that's how you greet people. That's kind of like the, the phrase of the thing. And the Christians, especially the Puritans, they do not like Saturnalia. I mean, among yeah. other drinking you're having fun and you're not working all of which are lame in their mind but also <laughs> you're supposed to like pick somebody to be the mischief king who can do whatever he wants for the entire week and he can act quite sinful and it's all forgiven because of saturnalia low 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 saturnalia and you can just imagine how you know puritans and especially people in the new world founding america felt about that kind of a celebration it's not something they exactly have any desire to see be a part of. And so for a long time, American history, they did America really didn't kind of like Christmas all that very much. There was a good 200 years or so where Christmas. Teddy Roosevelt didn't like it, right? Or yeah. He like, brought it back. One of the two. I can't remember which. I can't remember if he brought it back. I, I, I That one I didn't catch in my reading. I'll throw that out to you. So I, I don't know. I stuck more with the St. Nicholas story on this one. But I will say there's a legend that Coca-Cola helped bring Christmas to America. Yeah. It's a cool idea. I love the idea that marketers created Christmas. It'd be fun. Nah, it really didn't happen, though. Christmas was already kind of here at that point. They just kind of took advantage of it. They might have helped distribute the idea of what St. Saint, what Saint Nicholas looked like. But even then, at that point, he'd already been in cartoons for quite a while. Yeah. So it wasn't it, – I love the idea of the Coca-Cola creating Christmas just because it's kind of fun and corporate and goofy, but definitely didn't happen. Like, it, it's just right. not to the effect that they – you would it would be funner if it had happened more, but it just didn't. But anyway, so for about 200 years, Christmas is kind of like this wild party. They celebrated a little bit. I mean, you know, but when George Washington is crossing the Potomac on Christmas Day, yes, Christmas is an, Amer is an American, it's a European, it's an important Christian holiday, but it's not as important yet to the Americans as it's going to become in the future. And part of the reason is because of St. Nicholas and because people didn't know what to do with them. But in the early 1800s, a lot of these poets and people are trying to move away from Puritanism, trying to move away from kind of those ideas, especially in New England. They're writing stuff about the Salem Witch Trials. This is kind of that same era when Nathaniel Hawthorne's writing the Scarlet Letter. We're seeing people drift away from these early Puritanical ideas. And so one of the things that comes out is how to say, like this idea of how we're going to bring back Christmas. In 1821, a poem is written called The Children's Friend. And it talks about this guy named Santa Claus. They actually use his name Santa Claus, which is an English version of the Dutch Sinterklaas. Um, which kind of evolved. And in Dutch, by the way, in Holland at the time, kids on this day would get an orange, and that was considered like a great present, like the three golden coins you'd get an orange in your sock. And I guess an orange in the middle of winter was really surprising. Um, so Americans actually kind of took that, that tradition, and they also kind of made it into where instead of putting an orange in your stocking, they would put golden chocolate coins. So you know those weird chocolate coins that you got as a kid yeah. that are golden yeah. wrapper? That's, this is all coming from that tradition of Santa Claus, Santa Claus, huh? and all that stuff, which I also thought that was like one of the worst candies ever. And it's so difficult <laughs> to get the chocolate out of the daggum it's not golden good wrapper. It never tastes good. The only fun part is like when it looks like a golden coin before you try to actually open it up. So, But anyway, so that whole thing started from that. It's interestingly in all, all through my childhood, we got chocolate oranges yeah. in our stockings. I wonder if that comes from that tradition. Probably from the Netherlands, yeah. probably from their center clause yeah. who was going around giving out. And the whole idea, the reason they like orange was because it looks like a golden coin reminding them of the original story. So that's where kind of center yeah. clause comes yeah. from. And there might be somebody here who's from the Netherlands who is like absolutely 
unhappy with the way I'm telling this story. Look, this is the way I, I from several different sources trying to trying to make one like chronological narrative we can understand. This is the best I could do, but there might be a Santa Claus expert out there somewhere, you know, flipping his lid that I forgot the part about how he got his hat. I don't know. Okay, angry uh, angry Santa Claus expert, please contact us. We'll give you your own show, but I mean, continue. hopefully I I would love for you him to contact us. He's leaves a voicemail and he's like, "Ho ho ho, you've got it all wrong." And you're like, "Whoa, it was St. Nicholas all along." But probably not going to happen. Um, also, one, the other—I was just going to say one thing real quick. It was uh, Teddy Roosevelt because he was a conservationist. He forbid Christmas trees at the White House. That's what I'm okay. what I was remembering. So he was a what Christmas eater. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nerd. Yeah, nerd suck. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, were you saying though? I actually like Teddy Roosevelt overall. I guess he's fine. I like him better than Woodrow Wilson, so I'm not a hater on Teddy too bad. But yeah, he's. Uh, I like him better than Woodrow Wilson, but at the same time, I think I would like him better as a human than as a uh, political figure. Like just yeah. Like, I think there are a lot of cool people with cool stories who I just wish they didn't do some of those things. <laughs> For real, like, it's it's difficult. Like because you're like I like some of the like man I love. Winston Churchill, the Nazi fighter. I don't love Winston Churchill, the runner of India. You know, there's just these difficult things where you're like, uh, I wish you yeah. would have done just half of that and not the other half. Anyway, <laughs> um, Santa, man, finishing my Santa Claus stuff. Yeah. Santa Claus. <laughs> so candy canes also come from this. Somehow they got the idea that Santa Claus needed a uh, shepherd staff, even though like I, there's nowhere in my story where he had that. Um, and so, yeah, but in this original poem called The Children's Friend, it also brought about the flying reindeer. That's how he could get everywhere so fast. And the nice thing for the Americans about this version of Santa Claus is that there is no religious affiliation. He's not a saint. He's not he's not some Saturnalia thing going low, low, low. He says, ho, ho, ho. This guy is completely different than the European guy. So now we can have mm -hmm. Santa Claus. We can have our candy canes and eat it, too. And we no longer have to be chased. The next year, an anonymous poem comes out called The Visit of St. Nicholas, which we know it today as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And he's got eight reindeer at this point. The whole story is really coming together. And people are loving this new kind of secular Christmas guy who doesn't come around. It's not a saint. He doesn't have bones all over the place. It's, it's acceptable now. And as we moved away from Puritanism, we could kind of enjoy this guy without all the European baggage and strange stuff he was doing, especially like the weird right. Santa Clauses in Germany that are kind of kind of creepy. So like, yeah, is this guy's what, a lot better than him. What's with Santa Claus's uh, companions in other countries like uh, <laughs> Black Peter and yeah. uh, Krampus and like not great. I mean, Why? Santa Claus is just a story that you can just continuously make up and add stuff, it would seem. So, yeah. I mean, every culture had to make up some version of Santa and turn him into something. And for, you know, you, you imagine, you look at so, what kind of stuff is coming out of Germany and stuff like that. And then you can't be too surprised when some of these, you know, versions come out creepy. That's just kind of what they're doing over there. So yeah. bishops um, do have a staff. It's called a crozier. And so okay. it makes me wonder if, if instead of um, having yeah. a crozier, he has a cane. And they, and that that's might the be they made this transfer. Yeah. If you remember the in the prison, he got a bishop's robe and his staff. Maybe that candy right. cane is the um, homage to that staff that he had found back then. And then, right. you, but, then you have the shepherds that visited Jesus at his yeah. birth. And Which so is how like, I actually always heard candy canes were in reference to that, the shepherd mm -hmm. staff. But I, I, it's probably more likely it's the Santa Claus thing. But again, when it comes to Christmas, there are so many... So many variations Layers. of the story and so many yeah. different yeah. people trying to claim it's this, trying to claim it's yeah. that. And, 
yeah, I mean, again, why do we have so many different versions of Santa? And I, I, I did some research. I mean, I just didn't research hard enough. I didn't figure out where the elves come from. I did figure out where Rudolph came from, which we all, and most people are aware of the story of Rudolph is from a guy in the 1930s. He wrote about a childhood story about a, a reindeer with a red nose. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. guy, and he kind of turned it into a fun story for his kid about being bullied and all that stuff, which that's a familiar story. You know, this happened in the 1930s. What I didn't know, and this was the part that cracked me up, it's his day job was copywriter. And so he was literally just kind of given an assignment by his corporate job. Basically, it was like, hey, we need a holiday kids book. Write us a holiday kids book. And he's like, all right, let's write this story, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And so I just love yeah. that somebody putting in a nine to five came up with Rudolph. You know, usually you think of stories springing from the heart. It's this great artistic thing. In his case, it literally was. Yeah, you're interrupting. I, I will say offhand, I think that most likely uh, when it comes to elves, first off, the the idea of elves go is from different multiple different cultures. But I wouldn't be surprised if it if it came out of um, Norway in the Norse way because yeah. of the light elves, the dark elves, which are um, dwarves and all of that. I could very much see that coming through the center clause. It probably is. And I, and again, like I, I did a good, I thought I did a pretty solid job running through all the facts, but you really, I, you could get a PhD in Santa Claus origin stories <laughs> here. Cause this guy, there's just so much. Um, another guy important to note, a man named Thomas Nast, he was a cartoonist. He originally drew Santa Claus looking like an elf, very small and kind of yeah. agile. But by the eight, late 1800s, he had changed it to kind of this jolly, fatter looking guy bringing presents having fun which is where we kind of got the vision of santa claus that we had today the by the 1800s uh shop owners in america again they weren't a big fan of christmas but they liked the shopping aspect of it they were already kind of doing christmas sales and newspapers very early on in america's history but in 1841 one philadelphia shop owner advertised having a giant statue of saint nicholas that you could bring your family to see while you come shop eventually this was so successful uh-huh. Other kids, other stores started doing it. They started putting statues. And then eventually, why would you have a statue when you can have a guy pretending to be St. Nicholas? And so bada bing, bada boom, capitalism brings you the idea of going to visit St. Nicholas while you're shopping and bringing your kids and getting pictures and all of that whole thing came from this one shop owner in Philadelphia <laughs> who put up a St. Nicholas statue and put out an ad and said, hey, come see St. Nicholas while you're shopping and bring the kids kind of thing. So wow. you know, that, that's where that tradition comes from. And that's why malls to this day are doing it. Thanks, thanks to that one right there. And then oh. another way that Santa Claus spread out to Salvation Army saw that people like Santa started putting their their Salvation Army people in there, ringing the bells with the Santa Clauses in them. And that's and all these different factors, plus movies, plus a bunch of other things, really brought us the image of Santa that we have today and kind of buried the image of St. Nicholas every step of the way. Like every time we move closer to Santa, the original St. Nicholas punching Arius gets further like left behind. Um, yeah. but, but, and eventually by the 1930s, Coca-Cola does a campaign. They want to sell more Coke when it's cold and so they use saint nicholas as a mascot and boom he kind of takes off in the marketing world as a mascot for a lot of stuff come christmas time yeah yeah um, absolutely and norm norman yeah. rockwell did some great paintings of santa as well yeah and so that's kind of the overarching history i'd probably skip some stuff you know i can't explain all of it but i feel like that'll, that'll get you where you need to go for the most part if you're looking for a basics you know an intro to saint nicholas and you're kind of looking for the for the mostly true stuff. I feel like I did a good job. I don't know what happened yeah. to those pickled kids, but obviously that'll that'll get you at least <laughs> that'll get you on the right track of where you need to go. 
So I like how um, this uh, deep dive into Santa Claus included cannibalism, which everybody knows <laughs> I'm a big fan of. So um, I didn't expect there to be cannibalism in this story, but there was. And that's you kind of a look, delight. You mean when you read the Twas the Night Before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was sleeping, the cannibals or the mouse? I mean, what do you, how did you not <laughs> see this coming? How'd you, how'd you Cannib miss that? <laughs> cannibals don't sleep. They have the uh, Wendigo power. They don't have to sleep. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Uh, well, th thank you for that, because, you know, that's uh, tying together the story of St. Nicholas and who he was versus how Santa is. This is a very great, quick primer on that. Yeah. yeah. Beyond that, since you don't have all that much more time with us, uh, I exactly. do want to ask you personally, uh, when you were studying over St. Nicholas and what he, who he was, what he did, what did you gain from that? What is something that you thought was applicable to your own life or something yeah. that may be applicable to those uh, oh, for sure. Listen, uh, the original St. Nicholas, you know, he really was generous and there really was an era of generosity at his time where you just give and give and give. And there's such a desire to not only give, but to do so anonymously and to just quietly be taking care of the needs of others, seeing needs and how can I help reach those? Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons that Christmas is such a popular holiday, I mean, they celebrate it in China, they celebrate it worldwide, even though, you know, a lot of these places celebrating it aren't Christian yet. They love this idea of we're going to give something to other people and help other people in need and not just make it a commercial thing. But that spirit, I would say a spirit, I put that kind of air quotes, but like, let that be what kind of guides you as you're going into Christmas. Don't just think about the presents, the dinners, the family time. And that's, that's, that's important, but also really let yourself get into that idea of like, God, lead me somewhere where I can give to other people, where I can be a need reacher, not just maybe throwing $50 at the, you know, uh, the, the food clinic, but actually getting to know somebody in your community or seeing somebody who maybe is going through a hard time and reaching out to them, giving something of yourself. St. Nicholas literally gave until he had given pretty much everything he had. And that was so common. And I just think to myself, like as Christians today, I just think we look at that as such a foreign concept, but maybe we can learn to be a little bit more like them. You know, a lot of the things that St. Nicholas yeah. did are miracles. There's questions to whether they happen. That one's really not though. That one's pretty solid. And I think that that's, I think in some ways, isn't that the greatest miracle that a person would give up their material goods, give up their greed, give up their desire to have stuff. And instead, yeah. to, because of their love of Christ and their love of God, I'm going to love other people more than myself by giving what I have to them. I think, you know, I don't need manna oozing from a casket to, to see a miracle. I think a human being going from selfish to selfless, I think showing that kind of love of Christ, that is a great miracle in and of itself. That is something you just don't see enough of these days. I agree. Amen. Yeah. Um, so the last question that we have that we ask everyone, if you've listened to our show, you know, this is this question's coming. Um, right now, I, you're in Cambodia. Things are probably, I don't know how different they are there. I don't know how Cambodia has dealt with the COVID stuff, but there are a lot of people right now who are uh, two steps away from desperation. There are a lot of people yeah. who've lost family members, who've lost jobs, who are struggling now. And we are a show of hope. And that is shown a lot by how much we talk about Jesus. Um, but uh, at this point, I think that there are a lot of people, Christian or not, who are looking for little bits of hope that can keep them yeah. going, who can that can motivate them to carry on. So the final big question for you is, what is something right now in your life, it could be global, down to personal, anything, what's something that uh, drives you forward and helps you and motivates you to do good work and to be uh, a living in a, in a positive way? 
Uh, sure. I can go two ways. So for me personally, I just love the Lord. It, it doesn't matter. You know, put me in it. I, we've been in all kinds of situations, me and my family, and we've gone through some interesting stuff. I worked in downtown Miami where people, I mean, everyone, every, Hey kids, how many of you have seen a gunshot or seen somebody shot? Every hand's going up. Like we've been in that situation. Wow. I've, like I said, I've lived in China. I'm currently living in Cambodia. It's very third world here, but you know, the Lord is good. I've also lived in suburbs. I've lived in nice places. I will say, you know, I don't want to say I'm quite to Paul's level. I can be content in riches or poverty. I'm not there, but man, the Lord is good. He is doing stuff and he can, he can provide hope, whether you're that person in Miami, whether you're that person in China, wherever you are, the Lord is doing good things. He is, he is bringing his people in, and he he definitely can take care of you where you're at. Just really be giving it to him because there's nothing you and I can, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, it's hopeless. I can't do anything. Yes, that's right. Give up trying to do anything. Let the Lord work in your life instead, and you will find he is a far, far better plan for whatever you were going to do, whatever you thought you had planned, his plan will be far better, will be far better for you, far better for the people around you. It will hurt, man, it's going to sting at times, but God's ways are always better. And this world around us may seem crazy, but we know it's going to end someday anyway. So the Lord's all, I mean, this is all just preparation for the end. He's already flooded it all once. God's getting us ready for the end of days. You know, some days it may feel closer than others, but we know where this is heading. In the meantime, our job is to love on the people and the human beings around us and God will give us the strength to do it. But the other thing I was going to say too, and look, this may seem like me trying to shameless plug. I didn't know when I started Revive Thoughts. You know, I originally had the idea we were going to do old sermons from the past. I didn't really think much of it. I certainly didn't see a church history podcast studio coming out of it. But the reason we kind of went in this direction, the reason we're working on two new shows that we're going to bring out, the reason we're doing all this stuff is because church history is so incredibly encouraging. Like compared to COVID, Martin Luther and them dealing with some of the plagues they dealt with, compared to Johann Tyler dealing with the Black Plague, compared to some of the things people have dealt with, our lives are actually pretty easy and pretty simple compared to what people, yeah, I mentioned John G. Payton and you mentioned cannibals. This dude's, I mean, his entire family was eaten by cannibals. Every missionary, you know, was killed on this island. He went through extremely hard times. And yet he asked him, do you love God? He loved God. You asked George Mm -hmm. Mueller, who ran an orphanage for 10,000 orphans, who outlived his wife, his second wife that he married after her, who outlived all four of his kids. You know, do you love the Lord at 80? He goes, I have so much joy in the Lord. Let me tell you about it. These people, so many of these people have done amazing things, have gone through amazing heart loss, you know, breaking losses, have suffered incredibly. You feel like you're poor right now? I promise you, church history has somebody who is poorer than you. You feel like you had a hard time in school? Christmas Evans couldn't read until he was 17. All right. Like we have so many people we can turn to. You think you came to Christ late? C.I. Schofield didn't come to Christ till he was 40. St. Augustine didn't come to Christ till he was 30. They did just fine for themselves. You know, C.S. Lewis too, 30. And you, maybe you feel like I'm handicapped. Man, Charles Spurgeon suffered with depression. There are so many A.B. Simpson suffered with mental breaks. Well, I have physical handicap. Well, yeah, well, David Brainerd had tuberculosis and died at like 27. I mean, you, you have, there is always somebody in church history that has lived a tougher life than you, who had worse family than you. There's no circumstance you're going through. And maybe there will be one person out there who writes in, it's like, I lost both my arms and my legs. Okay, maybe you have the worst situation. But I'm just saying there's always somebody who has been through some very hard times that you can look at and see how they love the Lord, see how they found the joy of God, see how they found their hope. And you can certainly learn and grow from these people and learn from the truth because the way they approach their life, the way they write, the way they talk about God, the best of us don't even talk about God like that, let alone these people who suffered and suffered and suffered so greatly. And I go, that brings me much encouragement. That 
that the way that our Christian saints, the way that we Christians have survived so many incredibly tough circumstances gives me hope that we're going to be okay. Things are not easy right now. Things are harder now maybe than they were 10 years ago. Maybe you're worried about your kids or worried about your family or worried about your job or worried about these things. But I promise you, there are Christians who in history have struggled the same way and have come out the other side. Look to them, learn from them, and grow in them. Amen. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate that. I know you have to, to go teach. And so uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you go. That way you have enough time to finish your coffee Thank you. before you, you have to go. Um, so like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for giving us this time. Um, yeah. I would love in the future to explore some other um, saints with you, some other speakers, preachers, et cetera. Sure. Um, but if people want to, to hear what you and your wife are doing now, uh, the I know that they can check you out. They can check out Revive Thoughts, Martyrs and Missionaries, and more. Um, at revivethoughts.com. And I would assume you're on all the podcatchers. Yeah, um, yeah. Just look up uh, Revive Thoughts. We're on all of them. We're on YouTube. You know, our YouTube is not the one we've done the most on. But yeah, you go find us. We're, subscribe wherever you can. You'll have a good time. And um, we have over 130 sermons at this point that we brought back everything from the really old guys to pretty new guys. And definitely go subscribe to Martyrs and Missionaries to my wife's podcast. People love that show. It only came out in February, but it's already on one of the most popular shows on our studio. It's, it's nice. just very simple and edifying and people really enjoy it. Awesome. And if they want to find you on Twitter, they can find you at Revived Thoughts. Yeah, so mostly I, my Twitter is just my random thoughts. It has almost nothing to do with the Revived Thoughts at this point. So. <laughs> That's good, too. Every, everyone needs to have their thoughts out. Well, not everyone. <laughs> not uh, everybody. Everyone needs yeah. an outlet. Sure. I think yours are going to be, be better than some of the people out there. Who have so <laughs> Thank you. go check that out at Revive Thoughts. Trey, this was amazing. <laughs> I, I really got a lot out of this. Thank you so much for hey, coming. No problem. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, I like I like I said, thank you. We appreciate you. That's where to find you. Anything else that we need to mention, or are we are you good? No, Maybe we're good. Hopefully, you. come subscribe to us and yeah, have me on again. We could talk about some other saint and the weird legends that spread out of that. Sounds fun. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much, awesome. dude. Uh, you have a uh, a good day teaching and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> See ya. All right, to the rest of you. Uh, I thought that was fun, Jessica. That was, that that was, was great. You don't, you don't, oh my you don't, gosh. You don't get to hear about all of this stuff. And it was very uh-huh. short. This is a shorter episode than you're used to, but that's fine because there was so much in it. He brought so much to the table. And I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, but we have a lot coming up, and I should tell you about that. Uh next week we have another conversation, which um, spoiler alert, we already had. We already had this conversation, so I know what's in it. Uh, there are some things that I think I want to talk about later realizations that i had after that conversation conversation jessica that i want to discuss maybe off the air but there's some things i want to i i hit on that i I had a realization later on after that conversation uh but next week cody cook is coming back on he's the one who talked with me and jessica and ryan about um, the nephilim the sons of god that that whole bit of the bible that people like to ignore or throw away or explain (laughs) away He's back, and we we talked about how um, the uh, the Nephilim or the incarnation of Jesus that was the main uh, thrust of the episode, and we talked about how the Nephilim is the Antichrist in that way. That Jesus took a lot of these different things that were that were bad and that were evil, and he turned them on their head. Very, I thought it was a very interesting episode. We also mm-hmm. talked about women in the church, and I got very passionate about it, and I I, I love that. 
I love Cam that, that likes happens. women. I love them. <laughs> They're very pretty. Um, <laughs> after that, we have our Christmas party. We haven't recorded that one yet. Nope. So I don't even know what to tell you about that, but it'll be fun. I mm -hmm. hope. Um, after that, we have Q the Abolitionist on. We we're talking to him about Joseph because, you know, Mary gets a lot of play at Christmas. Joseph gets kind of left out. And we kind of went over that conversation. Who is Joseph? What can we learn from him? What faith that Joseph had that's often neglected in the story? Uh, after yes. that, we have our New Year's Eve show. Also, we haven't recorded that one yet. So for that one, we have Dent coming back, and we have Brad Binkley from the Propaganda Report. It's going to be a fun time. It's it, it, There may be some seriousness. There may be some depth, but we're there for fun, and you should join us. If you want to join that live, you can't now, because by the time this comes out, it's too late. You could have, though, if you went to patreon.com slash themadones and signed up as a patron, because there will be people at the Christmas party. There will be people at our New Year's Eve party. And we're going to have fun and they're going to be able to be a part of it. So you should consider that because this will come around next year. Mm -hmm. We will have more of this and you can be a part of it. Uh, the, at, so. the, the annual Mad Ones Christmas party, if you didn't get to catch it this year live, you're still going to be able to watch the recording. But that is inspiration for you to join the Patreon and be able to join our live Christmas party next year. Yeah, and we might even send the, the StreamYard link and have some people join us in, the, in that. Uh, you uh, never uh. know. You never know. We'll see ho, what ho, happens. Ho. Low, low, low. <laughs> low, 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 But beyond that, we have a Bible study. We just finished, uh, well, as of this recording, we just finished reading John. Uh, mm -hmm. Jessica and I and uh, some other people got together. I think they're about, they're probably 10 to 12 of us. And then regularly on the, on the meetups, there are about six to seven people. Yeah. We talk about, we, we, we read an entire book of the Bible. We talk about it. We ask the questions. We hopefully get some good answers or some good places to research later. You can join us. Tweet at me. Mm -hmm. I'll get you put into that. Um, coffee. Do you like it? You should. Do you like bourbon? This is tangentially related because the coffee <laughs> is aged in bourbon barrels at yeah. runyourmouthcoffee, ryMcoffee.com. If you use promo code the mad ones, you get 10% off. That's right. Do you like beef jerky? Also, there you go. <laughs> Jessica here will tell you about the beef jerky. We um, have a great sponsor, Righteous Felon Beef Jerky, uh, but they also make an awesome turkey jerky. So since it is the holiday season, if you wanted to get some awesome turkey jerky from Righteous Felon, use our promo code MADONES to get 10% off. It's not the Mad Ones, it's just Mad Ones. Try the Falcone, you will not be sorry. Yeah, and beyond that, uh, like I said, join the Patreon if you want to be part of the party. If you want to get to know us better, we will talk. I mean, it's not like we won't talk to you now, but we will talk to you more if you're a patron. It's just that's just how it happens because you're you're in more places where we are. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, Patreon.com slash the mad ones. If you're listening to this, YouTube.com slash the mad ones. If you want to watch it live and comment, we're also like, on subscribe. Thank you. Do that. Um, we're also on Rockfin, on Odyssey. We're on every podcatcher. If you want to just listen, uh, if you want to get grab a T-shirt, I have Christmas T-shirts up. We have mu Christmas mugs. We have regular mugs, regular T-shirts. If you want a T-shirt, we're the madones.com slash store. For the mugs, madonesshop.etsy.com. <laughs> buy, buy a mug or a T-shirt so that we can send Quest the free T-shirt that we still yeah. owe him, please. Because <laughs> we're poor. <laughs> 
uh, beyond that, uh, I'm on Twitter at Cam Harless. Jessica's on Twitter at Soup Canarchist. And that's all we've got for you. Merry Christmas. I'm glad we're Merry in this Christmas. part of the year. Like I said before the question, a lot of people in, are in despair. You don't have to be. This is the darkest time physically. It's the coldest time of the year, but it doesn't have to be the worst time. You need community. You need to talk to people. We're here for you as much as we can be, and we want to continue that conversation. But have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy yourself. Soak in the the, the spirit. Soak in the the meaning the true meaning of the season and uh beyond that i don't have anything you got anything you no got just mary mary no i peed before the show <laughs> you're doing Thank so much you. better we don't, have, we don't we, <laughs> I, I don't even have to mention your bodily functions anymore <laughs> um merry christmas everyone yes and you have a chance to be a light in the world so go light it up